your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. Now, I've been wanting to get to this. I, I love chapter 18. If you'll remember with me that we have been introduced to Ahab and Jezebel. That's the, Ahab is the king of the northern tribes, ten tribes. But as we're in this text, it says Israel. When you see Israel, that's the northern ten tribes. When you see Judah, that's the tribe of Judah and about half the tribe of Benjamin, right? And so we're going to see, uh, again, we've seen Elijah in 17 come onto the scene. Elijah means the Lord is God. Yahweh is God. The Lord is God. And so we're seeing him come onto the scene. If you remember, he came and he told Ahab, who built a temple to Baal, to Beelzebub. He married Jezebel. Her dad was uh, a Syrophoenician, and he uh, was priest to Baal, who is a false god. And then he became king. And so now here goes Ahab. He marries outside of Israel. He brings her in, and she wants him to build temple for Baal. And he begins to worship the Baals is what they call them, is the Baals, Baals above, the Lord of the Flies. And so they became so evil in these northern nations. But listen to me clearly. What you need to understand is, is they never did walk away from God. This is something that we miss a lot of times. They thought that they could worship God at the three times of the day, the three times of prayer, and then worship Baal the rest of the time. And so it's much like the church of today where they still have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. We worship all the false gods, and then we just have a token God where we go to church, but we never surrender to God. I think it's very important that we understand that. That it's not that we, that we quit going to church or we quit reading our Bible. It's we quit obeying God. We quit listening to God. We quit putting away our false gods. And we let them be gods also. So we have all of these things we're trusting in. But the Bible tells us only to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. And lean not on our own understanding. In all of our ways acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. He will direct your path. And so uh, the Bible doesn't tell us to trust in other gods doesn't tell us to trust in government. It tells us to obey government and the ruling authorities, but it always tells us to trust in God. That's have faith in God. That's how we live our lives. So be very careful with what you're trusting in because what you begin to put your heart upon is what you trust in, where you begin to go. So as we get to chapter 18, we know that Elijah has went right into the presence of Ahab, this evil king. So we see his courage because he trusts God, he believes God. And God directed him to go tell the king, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. It's not going to rain. And we know that up in James, James uh, 5, is it 5, 7? I think it's James 5. Seven. I don't remember. I didn't have the quote here. Uh, James five seventeen. I apologize. It said it tells us that we have a nature just like Elijah, who prayed that it would not rain for three and a half years, and it didn't rain. 
So see, he's having a relationship with God. He's listened to God. He's not afraid of man. And it makes him courageous for God, for he speaks boldly for God. But as soon as he tells Ahab this, now why would he tell Ahab this? Because Baal was a false fertility god who they believed would control the rain and the thunder and the lightning and would help their crops grow. So he's saying to, to, to Ahab, God's saying that this is a false god. If he's a real god, then he should be able to stop me from stopping it raining and he should be able to make it rain regardless. Now, don't miss the correlation of when God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and he brought 10 plagues upon them. Those plagues were designed specifically against the gods of Egypt to prove that God was God, to prove that Yahweh God, that the creator God, that the God that whom that the Lord of hosts whom Elijah stands before was the only true God. And if any of your gods, Egypt, can stop him from bringing these plagues, then they can be God. So this is, again, the same type of a challenge to the nation of Israel that we're going to see in this chapter is that if, if, if Baal is really a God, and he's really, because there only could be one God. If anybody can stop you from doing something, you're not really God. You're a false God because somebody else is greater. And so what is going on here is he's telling him it's not going to rain. And so pray to your God. And if he can make it rain, then he's God. But the God who I stand before says it's not going to rain. And so then God whisks him away and tells him to go and hide. Because really for three and a half years, we're going to see in this chapter, Ahab has tried to find him. Because Ahab can't get his God to turn the water on. So there's been a famine in the land. As we open up the chapter, watch this, 18.1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Now it's taken in this line, 18.1, that during that conversation where he's going to present himself, that God also told him to challenge the prophets of Baal to a challenge. And we're going to see that up here where he challenges them um, in 20 through 25 to see who truly is the God, the one who brings the rain and puts out, or excuse me, the one who brings fire from heaven. So he tells him that, and that's where this relationship is, that there's more going on. And it's just like our relationship with God. Listen, when you get alone before God and you confess sin and you're talking to God, if you're a teacher, you know that, you, that God says way more to you than what you say to the people you're teaching. When, you, when you're a parent, God says way more to you than what you tell your kids. And there's way more going on. So we see that there's more of a conversation and a relationship with Elijah. But notice this, because Elijah has been doing this game of hide and seek. It's a holy game of hide and seek where we see that the spirit of God has been hiding Elijah from Ahab, who is furious that Elijah would come. And he's blaming Elijah. He's not really realizing that it's God who has dried up the sky and that he needs to turn his attention back to God and not continue to keep his attention on man. 
And this is what you and I need to realize when things go on, that if there's suffering, there's pain, there's bad things going on, there's a dryness in your life, that it's not from man, it's from your relationship with God. So you don't go to man for help, you go to God, to the throne room. Everything in life is to get us to bow down to God, to cry out to God, to learn to worship God in spirit and truth, to come to Him and lean on Him and trust in Him and know that He loves us so much that He gave His greatest possession, His Son, so that we can have life in that more abundantly, so that we can be brought back into His presence and live before Him a holy life. So, after three years of this hide-and-seek, if you remember when we closed last, he actually had been moved from the, uh, uh, the brook uh, Corozan. Is that what it was? Brook Chinneret, I'm sorry. Brook Chinneret. And he went down to a widow in Zarephath, which was actually where Jezebel's dad was. And so now he's coming out of hiding. He's coming in to announce the truth and the word of God. And we see verse 2. So Elijah obeyed. God told him and he obeyed. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And there was a severe famine in Samaria. Well, what's that important about? Well, Samaria is where the northern kings were ruling from. If you remember that Omri um, in 16.22, well, 23, Omri's king, and it says, In the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri became king over Israel, which is the northern tribes, and he reigned 12 years. Six years he reigned in Terzah, which was the place where they would rule him when he took over. And he bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents of silver. Then he built on the hill and called the name of the city, which he built Samaria, after the name of Shemer, owner of the hill. And that's where he began to rule and reign from. He built a whole new palace, a whole new city. And that's where Ahab is ruling from, is Samaria. And there's a severe famine in the palace in the place where the northern kingdoms are at because of this curse that God pronounced on them for leaving God, for moving away from God, for ignoring God, for worshiping the Baals. Verse 3, And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge or was governor of his house, now listen to this Holy Spirit that tells us now in parentheses, Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. You hear that? Well, listen, Obadiah means servant of the Lord. That's what Obadiah means. Obadiah means serving Yah, servant of the Lord. Obadiah is a servant of God, the Most High God, and he's governor over this evil king's house. Listen, he could have left. He could have had bad behavior towards those who are outside, but he's seen his place, and God put him in a place so that he can help others in this place, and he continued to serve God where he was at. 
So he was the governor over this evil king's house. And it says he feared God. So look at this. A true servant of the Lord fears the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A true servant of the Lord, if I had time in another lesson, I would show you that if you go look at Genesis 22, fear of God means you obey God. Fear of God means even in even when it doesn't, you don't know how it goes. When God says you obey his word, and he will always come through and take care of his servant. Verse 4. For so it was while Jezebel, she's the one that introduced Baal worship to Ahab. This is the wife of the king. Listen to this. Jezebel means unhusbanded. She has no husband. Really, she's leading the house. The husband is not leading her. The king is not making her obey. She is leading the whole country. It's a spirit of Jezebel, which she is Jezebel. For so it was, this is how we know that Obadiah was serving God. This is how we know that Obadiah feared God. Look what it says, verse 4. For so it was while Jezebel massacred or cut off King James, the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah, the servant of the Lord, had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. Listen to me. He disobeyed the king to obey God. Because his name, Obadiah, means servant of God, serving Yah. And he feared God. He didn't fear man in the same way that a servant of God should fear man. See, there's, there, you're supposed to obey the ruling authorities, but if they're telling you to do something that's against God, you don't obey them anymore. Even if they might kill you, you don't obey them anymore. And so Obadiah, since he had a, a true and proper relationship with God, and he feared God, he was the servant of God. He disobeyed the king whose wife was cutting off and massacring the prophets of God so that the word of God couldn't go forth and so that the false prophets, Baal prophets, could actually be taking over. See, we have that same thing going on in our culture today. The, 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 the Jezebel spirit, if you will, it's a rebellious spirit of the church is ignoring the word of God. And it actually, if anybody teaches the true word of God, then they say that they are amiss and not them. And it causes the true word of God to be cut off from the land. And then we have this cultural culturanity, this cultural Christianity, and these cultural teachers that cause you to be at peace with the world and blend into the world and be politically correct with the world. But if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. It's that simple. Because the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. The whole world is following the devil. And those who are outside, we have to have wisdom to know those that are without. How to walk before them. And there's a time to speak up. There's a time to rebuke. There's a time to speak with, with healthy anger. With reverent fear of God. But there's also a time not to cast your pearls before swine and to be very wise so you don't lose your head until God's ready for you to lose your head. 
So Jezebel was massacring, and there were those Obadiahs in the land that were not afraid of man. So they had courage before man, and they spoke before leaders the truth of God, and they protected the people of God. And so verse 5 tells us, And Ahab had said to Obadiah, so obviously Ahab's the king, Obadiah is his, his uh, governor, he's helping in the land. He said, Go into all the land, to all the springs of water, and to all the brooks, Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. Listen, there's this huge, there's no rain for three and a half years. There's a famine in the land. They don't have any crops to grow. And they're going to have to kill some animals. And so they're out searching for water. Now listen to me, because here you see the application of earthly central demonic wisdom earthly central demonic wisdom why because he's instructing people to go look for water he's instructing people let's take care of the animals and make sure we don't have to kill them but he's not instructing people listen why is it not raining he's not telling people to repent and pray and ask the true God to bring rain. He's not saying why is it not raining. He's trying to deal with the problem of no rain for three and a half years on his own. So that he can keep animals alive. He's not worried about people. He's only worried about his own money, his own power, his own livestock. And yet people are going to die because there's no rain. There's a severe famine. And a true king that loved you, was concerned about you, a true leader, will be wanting to know why it hasn't rained for three and a half years. See, he knows why. Because the prophet of God, who they're trying to kill, announced why. And told them it's not going to rain because you're worshiping the Baals. And only God in heaven will pour out the rain and he wants you to cry out to him. So if you're dry, there's something going on. You can't figure out what's going on. It's not to get you to try to fix it in your own earthly, central, demonic wisdom. It's not to get you to try to fix it in your own strength and power. It's not to try to get you to search for a better answer. Go to the throne. Bow down to God. Say, what is going on? Bring the rain. Bring the power. You see, the rain or the water can also be symbolic of the Holy Spirit working in your life because the Holy Spirit is the water that goes with the word you couple them together and he washes and cleanses you so again we see this spirit in our world today how do we deal with you fill in the blank we have half the world that's on fire and half the world that's flooding how do we deal with Famines, half the world is starving, half the world is obese. How do we deal with it? Well, we return to God. We go back to his word. We stop trying to fix it ourselves. We stop trying to make up false gods. And we definitely need to stop worrying about the owls and the whales and all the animals and killing babies in the womb. 
were killing babies in the womb and trying to save animals. Listen to me. This is what you do when you serve the Baals. This is what you do when you've walked away from God. And think about this for a moment. We've been doing it for how many years legally? Since 1973. That's 47 years of legal abortions. So we know that for 47 years, this country has purposely thumbed its nose in the face of God and killed life in the womb. But we were doing it long before that. I mean, think about it. It really began, the partial birth abortions began in Moses' day. When Moses was born, Pharaoh was telling them to kill the babies, the male babies, when they come out of the womb of the Egyptian women. So this is not a new thing. This is what they would do when they would worship Baal. It was a molten hot image that they would come out of worshiping in the temple and they would take and have their children and go lay them on the hot molten arms of Baal to sacrifice their kids to him so that Baal would be happy. Some of them call his name Molech, but he's just another false Beelzebub. He's the Lord of the flies. It's all the devil. You're worshiping the devil. You can choose life and have God, or you can choose to worship the devil. That's the only two roads there really is. You can choose life. In fact, it's Proverbs 8, which is the wisdom chapter, where Jesus is the wisdom of God. Proverbs 8.32, I believe it is, where he brings in the culmination of chapter 8, and he says this, Now therefore listen to me, my children. 832 of Proverbs. For blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. See, when you obey, you're gaining this earthly, or excuse me, this heavenly wisdom. Do not disdain it. Do not cast it away. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, at my door, waiting at the post of my doors. Whoever finds me finds life. And obtains favor from the Lord, but he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. See the two roads? If you hate God, you're a fool. You hate God, you love death. But if you love God, you're hating death. You're hating evil with him. There's only two roads. All who of those who hate me, God's ways... They love death because that's the only thing that's left. If you hate God, you ignore God. And that's why we see these things going on in our country. We've walked away from God. And then the church is following the false prophets, the false teaching. Not all. There's always a remnant. But much of it is following falseness. And we have no spirit. We have no reign, spiritual reign. That's why we're always praying for a great awakening in the church. Listen, in order for other souls to, to revive, we need an awakening in the church to take the truth outside, without, to others who need to, to walk in wisdom and be able to share the gospel with a dead and dying world. So they're looking to try to figure out how to keep their animals alive as opposed to how to keep themselves alive by obeying God. 
as opposed to saying, why truly is it not raining? The God that we're serving must be a false God because he's not given us rain. Verse 6, he instructed that to Obadiah. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Isn't the land divided today? It's always been divided. Godly go one way and the ungodly go the other way. Watch who Obadiah meets. Listen, the godly man, the servant of Yah, the one who's serving God is going to run into the word of God. And he's going to deliver it back to the king. Watch this. Because see, listen, Old Testament, the word of God came from the prophet of God. Hebrews 1.1, in past times in divers manners, God's, God's divers manners, different ways, God spoke through the prophets. In these last days, he speaks to his son, Jesus. Look at this. This is really good. Now, as Obadiah, verse 7, was on his way, he's the servant of the Lord, on his way, suddenly Elijah, which means the Lord is God, met him. And he recognized him. See, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. My sheep see the word of God and they understand the word of God. And he fell on his face and said, Is that you, my Lord, Elijah? Listen, this is just respect for the word of God. We should have respect for the word of God. We should be studying the word of God. We should be obeying the word of God. You and I, as the people of God, need to know what the Word of God says. And when we take the Word of God, and it's coupled with the Spirit of God, we know how to act when we go outside for God to other people. So he recognized him. And he answered him, It is I, see, the Word of God. Elijah says to Obadiah, the servant of God, who feared God, It is I. Go. That's what we've been commanded, to go and tell your master, tell the king, Elijah is here. The Lord is God is here. Listen, that's what the church has been commanded to do. To go tell people about a living God. The Lord is God, the true God, the one and only God. And that's what the servant of the Lord and the word of God will always direct us to do, is to tell others about God. Verse 9. So he said, listen to what he said. This is Obadiah, the servant of the Lord, who works for the king. He's the governor of the king, and he fears God. He said, he reasons with the word of God. How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master, Ahab, has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Here's my testimony. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? 
how I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and I fed them with bread and water. I took my life in my own hands because I fear God. My name is Obadiah. I'm a servant of the Lord, no matter what the worldly king says. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Now pay attention. See the difference between, there is a difference here between the prophet of God and the servant of God. The prophet is courageous. He's not afraid. He's got a relationship with God. But the servant of God is a little bit fearful of the king. Do you hear me? Look at it. Look at the difference. The servant's like, no, because you'll be gone and then they'll kill me. But the prophet of God has been before Ahab. He went before Ahab and announced the famine. And now he's ready to go before Ahab again, and he's not afraid at all because he knows that God's in control. But the servant here has a little bit of fear of the king. It's probably healthy fear because he's seen the evil that the king has been doing. But we don't have to fear man. Fear of man produces a stumbling block. But notice, listen to me, notice how he's encouraged by Elijah He's encouraged by the word of God, the answer of God through the prophet of God, and he goes and obeys because now he trusts God. He reasons with the word of God that Elijah gives him. Verse 15, then Elijah said, this is what the word says, as the Lord of hosts lives, he's a living God before whom I stand. See, Obadiah is standing before the king. But he's also standing before God. And Elijah is making it clear who he stands before. His courage comes from, his strength comes from, his instructions come from. He's standing, which is the position of the saint, is to stand therefore in the victory of Christ, Ephesians 6. He says he's a Lord of hosts. Why is he the Lord of hosts? It's his planet. He's hosting us. He's the host of this planet. He's allowing us to have life and be on his planet. He's allowing us to live. He is the host. Listen to me. He's taking good care of us. And Elijah stands before him. I will surely present myself to him today. He encourages him that he's not going to let him die. I'll be there today. Today is the day to stand up and be courageous. Listen. We need more courage in the church. People are not standing up and speaking out and sharing the truth because they're afraid of earthly kingdoms. They're afraid of earthly, central demonic wisdom. They don't have the relationship they need to have before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Notice that Elijah's been spending time alone and learning that God is faithful. Remember, he fed him by ravens at the brook Chinnereth. He brought water to him through the brook until it dried up. Then he took him to a widow, and they ate with the bread and the oil. They ate until now. He has been taken care of perfectly. His faith is growing, and now he's been told to go, to go and present himself. Listen, the Spirit of God, verse 12 has been hiding perfectly 
Elijah from Ahab. Do you notice that the Spirit of God is doing the work? The Spirit of God has kept Ahab from finding him for three and a half years. Because he hasn't, he's looked everywhere. He's tried to find him everywhere. Well, what oh, Ahab should have been looking for God, not for the word of God that has come by the prophet. Listen to me. He should have been crying out to God and repenting. And he's been using all of his resources, going to every nation, every tongue, every tribe, trying to find a trying to find Elijah. And all he had to do was get on his knees. He's not hidden. God's not hidden. He's not hiding from us. All we have to do is get on our knees before him. Cry out to him. And the Spirit of the Lord, though, hid him at the widow's house in Zarephath. It's so funny that he's hiding in the land where the false worship of Baal is the most popular. And Baal can't tell. Baal couldn't tell on him because the Spirit of God wouldn't let him. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? It's amazing. There's no wisdom or counsel against God. So 16, what does Obadiah do? The servant of the Lord obeys the word of God that came from the prophet of God. Obadiah went to meet Ahab. Didn't find any water, but I found Elijah. And I have word. And he told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Listen, is that you, O trouble, one who troubleth Israel? It's interesting that that word, listen, that word trouble, troubler, troubleth in the King James, it actually means to royal water, R-O-I-L, water. To disturb or afflict or to stir, S-T-I-R. Royal water means to stir or turn. Isn't that weird? That's what he's calling him, troubler. The one who's turned the water. The one, see, he thinks that it's man's fault, and he doesn't get that it's God's fault, that God is the one who cursed and said it's not going to rain. He's blaming man for his problem in his kingdom and the famine in the land of Samaria all around through there. He's blaming Elijah. Because he doesn't want to own up to his own sin. Now look at our world today with this earthly, central, demonic wisdom going on. Not just in the world, but in the church. We're all looking to be victims. We're all looking to blame somebody. Look out in the streets. There's mob violence and they're blaming somebody else for their problems, for their sin. And the problem is, is we've turned from God. And we blame men. It's age-old sin. Adam said, it's that woman you gave me. That woman said, it's the devil. And all God wanted them to do was fess up and admit they were sinners. And he would give them rain. Look at this. Look at this. 18, 18, 18. What does Elijah say? He answered, I have not troubled Israel. Northern ten tribes. 
I have not troubled those that are supposed to be governed by God, but you and your father's house have. He points to blame squarely on Ahab in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. He tells them, it's not because of me speaking the word, it's because of God telling you that you've forsaken God and you started worshiping Baals. You build him a temple. You're serving false gods. You're not serving. Forsaken means to leave and refuse to listen, to loosen. And you followed, you're walking with the false Baals. And in the King James, it's Balaam, which is plural for Baal. And Baal means a husband or an owner. You see, Israel, God was married to Israel. And they played the harlot. And they went away to chase the bales and serve and not come underneath the authority as a wife should submit to the husbandman. He didn't come underneath the authority of what the Bible says so that he would protect her and cover her as a nation and keep her safe. He had given her a land full of milk and honey with everything there and all she had to do was obey. And they disobeyed and they went out and played the harlot and chased the bales and forsaken God and went away from God. And then they go, why is it not raining? It's because of you, man. It's because of you, man. No, it's because you have not listened to God and surrendered to him, Ahab. Listen, my wife said to me, and she always gives me these great tidbits. She said, why will there not be marriage in heaven? See, the truth is there will be marriage in heaven. The church will be married to Christ. But God does not believe in polygamy. So you can't get married again. You're already married. You already have a husband. God's idea was always the husband and the wife of one. And so when we get to heaven, we're going to consummate the marriage because we are the bride of Christ. When we get to heaven, there will be no need to marry anybody because we're married to God. We're married to the Son. We're already married. All of us are the bride of Christ, and we're supposed to submit to the husbandman and obey. But again, the church has forsaken. The church is supposed to be allowing the Holy Spirit to uh, adorn them as a bride and prepare them as a bride who's waiting on her groom. We'll probably do a message soon, but it's, it's all a wedding ceremony. From Romans 10, 9, and 10, everything's a wedding ceremony with Christ. And the Father came down with the Son at the cross, and they presented the dowry and bought us, bought the, the bride from the world, from its father of lies. And everyone who drinks of the cup agrees that they are the bride of Christ. And then the Son went away to build a house on to, uh, to the side of the Father's house, and He's promised to come back and get those who have drank from the cup and are still drinking from the cup and are being adorned by the Holy Spirit as the bride, prepared, and He's going to take us to be with Him, and thus we'll be with Him always. That's a wedding ceremony. It's in honor of the Father. And then, as Jesus will do, He'll present us a chaste virgin before the father and say my bride my bride father 
and he'll give everything back, all authority back to his father, and then he'll live with us for eternity. We'll rule and reign with him only under his submission as a perfect bride that's been washed through the washing of the water and the word. It's amazing. Blows me away. My little brain's going to pop. But he clearly gives him I mean, this takes courage. It takes the Spirit of God to look at the king who can kill you and say, I am not the one who has stopped the water. I am not the one who has stopped the rain. I was announcing what God was doing because you are forsaking him. You're not keeping his commandments and you've walked away from him. You're the one that's the troubler of Israel. You and your father's house. Because you have followed the Baals. And then he says in 19, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, nah, not me, you. He says, now, therefore, because of all of this that's went on for the last three and a half years in all of your life, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. The 450 prophets of Baal, he numbers them. And the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. That's 850 prophets. Now, Asherah is supposed to be a female deity that is actually the bride of Baal. And so they have 400 of them and 450 of Baals, 850 total prophets, and they're all eating at Jezebel's table. They're being fed by, they're being led by the great harlot and listening to and ignoring God. They're killing the prophets of God. So he's setting up for this great Mount Carmel battle. Now let's look what happens next. All the courage that Elijah has. And then verse 20 says, So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Are you listening to that? See, it's in God's timing. It's in God's way. Just like the stuff going on on the planet right now, Notice Ahab didn't say, no, I'm not doing it. He obeyed the word of God. Just like when Jesus was riding in on a donkey and the Pharisees and Sadducees were saying, we don't want to kill him on the Passover. Let's wait till after the Passover. They were still on God's timetable and he was the Passover lamb. So they couldn't stop what they had started. Ahab can't stop what he has started. He has to keep going. And notice who's in control. The Word of God's in control. The Word of God's on the throne. The Word of God goes to Ahab and tells him what to do. And he says, okay. And he goes and does it. He's being used now to show God's great power. And anybody that rejects God's Word, anybody that turns to death and doesn't want to listen to God but wants to serve the Baal, God will begin to use them to show His great power on the earth the same way He did with Pharaoh. He's now going to do it with Ahab. And Ahab listens, and it says, And Elijah came to all the people and said, Now here's the great question for the whole earth, for all of eternity. We're going to get to this question in the New Testament in Mark chapter 8 on Sunday, God willing. How long, it's a timing question, will you falter between two opinions? How long will ye halt ye? That's what it says in the King James. H-A-L-T ye. 
How long will you halt you? It means to hop, to skip over, to hesitate, to limp, to be lame. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. How long will the church, how long will you, nation of Israel, try to follow both? You cannot follow both. Both. It's B-O-P-H. That's how I say it. Both. This is the age-old question. How long will you falter between two opinions? Either God is God and you follow him, you obey him, you listen to him, but if Baal is God, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. They didn't speak up. Think about it. This is all of Israel with 850 prophets of Baal standing there. And they do not answer Elijah. 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. He's, he's the only one there, he thinks. But Baal's prophets are 450. There's actually the 400 Asherah too. He's probably waving his arms toward them and pointing at them. Therefore, let them give us two bulls. They're going to get them. And let them choose one bull for themselves. They can make their decision. Cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood but put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bull, he's going to do all the work himself, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Here's the challenge. Here is the how long. Here is the who is God. Then you call on the name of your God's name is always your character, nature, and authority, your will. You call upon your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Listen. The God who answers by fire is God. So all the people answered. Now they're going to answer. They didn't answer a minute ago because they don't know. They're faltering between two opinions. They're believing in two different worlds, living in two different places. They haven't placed their whole heart, mind, and strength in the Lord. They've been deceived by the world and the government and the leaders who built temples to Baal and are serving lies and money and riches. And they're listening to the uh, American dream and culturanity and following what everybody else is because it looks good. They said, well spoken. Well spoken. And I'm going to stop there because I can't finish this chapter even though I want to and do it justice. So what we're going to do is I stopped at 24. We're going to start again next week, next lesson, God willing, on verse 20 again. We're going to start at verse 20 again, and we're going to see the challenge. And then we'll see, and you can read this as homework. You'll see which God brought fire. 
Listen to me. He's a consuming fire. He wants to bring fire today and burn out the flesh in our life. He wants us to trust him. And he's telling us, listen to me now. It's not about all the rest of it. It's about your personal love relationship with him now. Come to him now. Don't go to men. Don't blame men. Don't trust in men. Trust God. And come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And he will give you wisdom in how to walk without, outside of the church, outside of here, to anybody, even to be a witness to the church. He'll give you the wisdom to be the man of God and the woman of God, the Obadiah, the servant of God that you're called to be, no matter who you stand before. He is where our courage comes from. We are to be courageous because we serve a living and true God. It's not us. We fall short. But our God's arm is not short. He can save us. We don't have to listen to the Baals, to the world, to the liars, to the president or the king. I'm not saying rebel against them. I'm saying don't trust in them. Because when you trust in them with your heart, they'll deceive you. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He'll lead you clearly to water. His spirit will guard you. And one day soon, he'll whisk you away to be in his presence in the rapture of the church. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for this place in life that we can stand and be witnesses for you. But Lord, we pray that we would not falter between two opinions and we would know you are God and we would hear your voice and we would follow you. Help us to be courageous. Give us strength. Help us to stand before you without fear of man. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The Lord bless you.